Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, committed to providing targeted cancer medicines for patients. When it comes to cancer treatment, one size does not fit all. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, Dr. Gore is joined by Dr. Kristen Moyer and Chaplain Randall Spaulding for a conversation about ways to address the religious and spiritual needs of cancer patients. Dr. Moyer is a clinical instructor in the Department of Medicine at Yale School of Medicine. Chaplain Spaulding is chaplain of the Oncology and Sickle Cell Units at Yale New Haven Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematologic malignancies at Smilo Cancer Hospital. If each of you could maybe take a minute or two and tell us sort of what you do. Great. Yes, thanks so much for having us. So I'm, uh, as you said, currently a chief resident in internal medicine this year and and, uh, and looking forward to um, starting a, a palliative care fellowship at uh, The Ohio State University uh, coming uh, coming up in July. Um, as a, a chief resident this year, I had an opportunity to, to give a, a medical grand rounds, um, uh, and my, my topic was uh, caring for the spiritual needs of patients. Um, and this was really a culmination of interests um, that have spanned uh, the past several years for me. Um, really starting in, in medical school, um, I had an opportunity to be a patient um, and recognize uh, kind of the uh, the vulnerability and, and the kind of fear that comes along with, with being in that position. Um, and really, at that point, um, felt very strongly that, uh, that the spiritual care that I received while I was a patient and, and also the um, the way that I depended on my uh, spiritual beliefs to help me make decisions in, in those times was, um, was so powerful that it really ultimately framed um, my experience in going back into medicine. And after after that time, um, and I, you know, constantly would um, would just hear the themes of of the patients that I cared for, um, the existential themes, the the fear, the distress, um, and that really led me to um, to take a break from medicine for a couple of years and, and pursue additional theological training. Mm. Um, and uh, and to, to uh, do a chaplaincy internship. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, that experience um, really was one of the hardest clinical experiences of, of, of my entire training. The I think, chaplaincy. To, the chaplaincy, indeed. Um, and I think Dr., you know, uh, Reverend Spaulding can speak to that, I think, uh, what, what that training looks like. But um, the number of, of on-call shifts and uh, the responses to, you know, to all the deaths that occur in a, in a, uh, a given period of time when you are on-call um, kind of what a chaplain goes through in, in a, uh, a given period um, to, to respond and be present with people um, uh, during those times of, of fear and, and, and loss um, is amazing. And it's, uh, it's a, I think, to, to even for me just to have a few months of a glimpse of, of that experience um, really just, uh, you know, I think propelled my interest more to uh, be able to, as a physician, come back and and try to integrate those um, those skills that I that I learned from from my chaplain colleagues, but also really try to um, to find ways in medicine uh, to um, to integrate uh, the care that we give um, with our chaplain colleagues and, and find ways to do interdisciplinary spiritual care better. Um, and so that was really um, you know as an opportunity uh, presented itself uh, this year to to talk about a topic that was interesting and, and important to me. Um, mm. That's uh, that's what I chose. So it was, a, you know, a wonderful um, 
opportunity in palliative care certainly, I think, brings that lens of, of, of interdisciplinary care and spiritual care to the bedside um, in a way that, uh, you know, that is important to me and, and that um, that will be kind of the next step for, for my career. Thank you. Any of that resonate with you, Randall? Oh, of course it does. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Gore. It's a pleasure to be here, uh, Dr. Moyer. Uh, so, you know, as a chaplain, uh, one of my jobs is to assess the spiritual needs of my patients, uh, and not just patients, but also family. And we also act as chaplains to the staff as well. Um, you know, we, we're in an acute facility, and there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of, of need and a lot of distress. So my job is to uh, meet with patients, see how they're doing, assess uh, where their support systems are, um, what, if any, spirituality is supportive to them, is helpful for them in dealing with this kind of um, lousy situation that they find themselves in. And then to offer an additional layer of support to the medical uh, staff in um, meeting the needs of patients. Um, we, I really appreciate the work that um, Yelp New Haven Hospital does in addressing uh, sort of a holistic approach. You know, they really see the needs of patients not just in medical terms, but also uh, sort of a mind-body-spirit uh, approach. And so we have a um, whole department for spiritual care. We have a department for social work to address both the emotional and spiritual needs. Uh, and I think that's really important. Patients come with a lot of, of, of pain, a lot of struggle, a lot of questions about what's going on and why is this happening to me. Um, and, you know, we help them journey uh, through this process uh, that uh, can often be uh, confusing and frustrating and uh, filled with a lot of uh, anxiety. Uh, so my job as uh, uh, oncology chaplain and chaplain to the sickle cell patients is to help provide that layer of support to them. Does every patient who's hospitalized in your hospital get a visit from a chaplain, or is it upon request? How does that work? So there's a variety of ways that that can happen. Um, between our campuses, there are 1,500 beds. So, and we lot. have like 26 or 24 to 26 chaplains. Um, and so we, it's impossible to really uh, see every patient sure. and to, uh, to meet everyone's needs. Uh, one of the ways we work is through referrals or consults. So if a nurse is assessing a patient or a physician is assessing a patient or a social worker has seen them and they detect, you know, some sort of um, spiritual need or that they could benefit from uh, a chaplain, they put in a consult and that appears and we we see that patient within 24 hours. Um, we also uh, have a, a great a relationship with the unit staff, with the nurses, with the nurse managers, with the uh, social workers. And so we're always talking to them and saying, you know, what's happening today? Who could use a visit? Who's really struggling? Um, and um, our staff is great at saying, you know, tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, I think you need to go see Mrs. So-and-so or, you know, this person's really, uh, they just received, you know, a really bad diagnosis and um, they're in tears. Can you, can you help them? Um, we also have a goal of trying to uh, see patients who have been in the hospital up to seven days. So if it's getting close to seven days, um, I make sure that I knock on the door and go in and, and say, you know, I'm here. We're, we're here to support you. Uh, how are you doing? And, you know, what's helping you get through this? Well, that's great. Now, now you um, wear a clerical 
uh, garb yes. uh, on a daily basis whenever yeah. I see you. And uh, clearly many of the patients and families are going to be coming from uh, non-Christian faith traditions. Right. Um, so what is that like if you walk into an Orthodox Jewish room or a Muslim room or a Hindu room? Um I mean, what's the response? Are people open to that? Do you feel like, okay, I've got to put on a special, uh, you know, hat, (laughs) a special miter? Well, let me just say that we don't have a a particular dress code. So some chaplains wear a collar and other chaplains uh, don't. Um, uh, They wear regular, you know, um, sort of attire. Right. and yeah, every once in a I, while. I wasn't talking about your clothes. No, I was really... every once in a while you get someone who whose eyes just sort of pop open, and they're like, you know, are you here? Am I dying? You know, mm-hmm. when they see a collar, which you know sometimes is is a part of some cultures. Um, but I work, you know, very quickly just to say no. I I'm here as a part of the team, and we're here to support you. Um, we know that sometimes spiritual uh, needs and religious practices are important to patients when they're struggling with illness and trying to cope. And so, how can I help you? Our job as chaplains is not to impose our particular um, spirituality or religious practice, but to find out um, what's what is your practice and what is your spirituality? What's connecting you to something greater than this present uh, difficult moment? Um, it might be your your faith community. It might be your prayer practice. It might be meditation. It could be nature. It might be your pets or your family is your greatest source of uh, a spiritual uh, strength. And so we have conversations. We try to support them in any way that we possibly can. So we're talking sort of small as spirituality or the, or a bigger uh, umbrella spirituality as opposed to religion, really, or even faith necessarily. I mean, I guess we get into semantics here. You can, but we also assess if they do have particular religious practices, if their religious community is very important to them. Um, And I, you know, I'll say, would, you know, does your does your faith community know you're here? Would you like me to call your priest or your imam or your uh, community and let them know? Um, Would you like a visit uh, from them? what practices are helpful to you? Can I bring you a religious text that's important to you? Um, some people ask for the Quran. Other people ask for the Bible. Some people want a rosary. Uh, some people want healing oil. And mm. we try to make, you know, as much as possible, all those things available to our patients to help them to, to cope and to find a way to ease their anxieties and the stress of what they're going through. Mm. Kristen, what was your... Um, training like uh, during your chaplaincy intern? What did what did you have to do? Did you take classes? Yes. What's involved? Sure. So so clinical pastoral education is, um, is a really uh, several steps um, in, in the process of becoming a board certified chaplain. And as a theology student, um, I was able to take one unit uh, of CPE um, and uh, out of... As opposed to CPR. Right. <laughs> exactly. A little um, bit of a difference. And yes, and, and Reverend Spalding can, can attest to the fact Probably that Probably more effective oftentimes. <laughs> several CPE units are required to become a board certified chaplain. Correct. 
Um, so, so I was able to do one, which was a, a semester-long uh, process and involved a, a, a combination of, um, of clinical care, uh, so providing clinical care, uh, clinical spiritual care to patients. Um, uh, my particular assignment was on a pediatric hematology and oncology ward. Um, and then to take a, a handful, um, approximately eight 30-hour call uh, shifts throughout the, the semester, um, where, whereby you are, um, at least at night, the only chaplain in the in the hospital, and so you're responding to all the codes, all the deaths, um, really any needs. If people need to fill out their advanced directives, you're on site in the hospital, like a, like a resident. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so you're, yeah, you're you're it. And so there could be ten deaths in a twelve hour period, or you know, several patients admitted for urgent surgery the next morning that need to talk about their advanced directives and need to fill out, um, you know, fill out those forms. And and so you're responding to to all of those. Um, needs over overnight and um and I think you know I think the the biggest lesson for for me in, in those um, those moments was just the the amount of cumulative grief that you're experiencing over a period of time and and how do you um, and how do chaplains really um, uh, kind of cope with that in in um, in uh, kind of a self care way in, in addition to being able to be present for each and every new family that you're um, that you're in, uh, kind of coming into contact with um, so that was the bulk of, of the clinical experience and then there's um, a, a component called interpersonal relations group or IPR group and and that's really where you do a lot of the inner work and the Mm -hmm. reflective work of uh, processing the the clinical encounters that uh, that you're uh, uh, having with patients. That's in parallel. That's in parallel, exactly. And so you have a small group. Um, of, uh, our group was, I think, five or six uh, chaplain uh, interns at, at the same time and a, and a leader. Um, and they would um, really push us to uh, to reflect. We used um, an assignment called a verbatim, where you literally write a script almost uh, um, uh, retrospectively of, of your encounter with a patient and what they said and what you said, and really try to uh, hone in on, you know, why did you Why did you jump in and, and change the subject there? Or why didn't you wait? <laughs> how uncomfortable how, were you right, feeling, right? Exactly. Right. And uh, you know, why did you kind of use uh, that theology speak right there and, and make things more complicated than than the patient really intended? Well, um, I have my guesses, okay. uh, but uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong after our break. Right. Okay. But right now, uh, we've got to interrupt this like really fascinating <laughs> discussion. I'm sorry for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about the spiritual needs of patients with Dr. Kristen Moyer and Chaplain Randall Spaulding. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a global science-led biopharmaceutical business committed to bringing to market targeted oncology medicines that address unmet needs. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. There are over 13 million cancer survivors in the U.S. and over 100,000 here in Connecticut. Completing treatment for cancer is a very exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. Following treatment, the return to normal activities and relationships may be difficult and cancer survivors may face other long-term side effects of cancer, including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources for cancer survivors are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as the one at Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to keep cancer survivors well and focused on healthy living. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. 
You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guests, Dr. Kristen Moyer and Chaplain Randall Spaulding, and we are discussing ways of caring for the spiritual needs of patients. Kristen, before the break, you were telling us about uh, some of the training you did in a chaplaincy internship, and you uh, earlier described uh, the difficulty of having all of this grief on your shoulders, uh, or at least in your face, <laughs> if you will, and, and that you actually did your chief residency piece on how the how the care spiritual caregivers care for themselves. Did you come up with an answer? Because uh, apparently you're going to palliative care, so this is not you know the end for you in this direction. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Gore. I think that's a, it's a great question, and I think um, uh, I think it's a complicated one. I remember my uh, IPR, my supervisor of, of uh, my chaplaincy supervisor during that time, really talked a lot about this process of um, engaging and disengaging, mm-hmm. and you know, and when you're really present with someone, to be fully present and to to you know be there in the moment, um, but but really try to to practice um, as soon as you s- step out, you know, of the of the patient's room. Um, to be able to um, to let it sit and let it be, and to be able to move on and, and practice self care and find you know outlets of um, of regeneration for yourself in in uh, ways that kind of um, even if it's a as small of a ritual as you know we talk about washing hands and and how that can be um, ritualistic in, in a way that is um, you know uh, just taking a moment to meditate over something simple in the hospital as you go from patient to patient um, uh, after a death to to take a moment of silence and. And, and be present with the caregivers around the bed, um, you know, ways that, that you can honor that life and, and also um, honor your work and then be able to, to kind of step away and, and be ready for the next. Um, so I, I think I think those things are important, especially in a time that we talk so much about um, physician and chaplain burnout and, and how important um, those issues are to, to recognize. And I think, um, and Randy, you can probably speak to this, um, I think caring for one another and being part of an interdisciplinary team, the way that palliative care does or the way that the sickle cell team at, at Yale does um, to really be able to provide staff care for one another and to, to reflect on the loss and the grief that we deal with on a day-to-day basis right. is really important that we that we talk about it and that we, that we share um, how we're feeling. Yeah, I would agree. One of the things that we're starting to do here um, at, at uh, Yale New Haven Hospital is something called the pause when there's a death, um, especially in the ED, our, our e- emergency department chaplain. Um, has begun a process of once a patient has been declared, you know, that they've, they've died, um, the chaplain will ask everyone to just pause a moment. Instead of just cleaning up and everybody mm-hmm. leaving the room, we just take one short moment to remember um, this person's life, that they meant, to, you know, uh, something to someone, um, and that whatever our belief or philosophy or spiritual practice is, we just pause for just a moment and reflect on what just happened here. And we also, uh, you know, just... Uh, say a note of appreciation and thanks to the staff who worked so hard, mm-hmm. you know, to try to save this patient. Um, this practice uh, we're beginning also during codes on on some of our floors as well. And it's following be- codes, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> following <laughs> codes, yes, not not before. And it's become something that that the staff has really found to be meaningful and helpful for them in processing 
uh, sometimes their grief that they just hold um, as they go on to the next patient or the next code or the next critical process. It all just sort of builds up. And doing something simple that isn't really tied to a religion um, has been really meaningful and very helpful for for staff. Hmm. In my uh, previous uh, place of employment, um, one of our chaplains uh, would come around uh, once in a while and do this ritual. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was a pouring of water mm. and blessing, and it was non-denominational for the staff. Right. And it was it was really really wonderful. Just for I mean, I was a physician, of course, but the nurses actually allowed me in, uh, and it was really special just to take that moment and be together. And again, I'm not sure what it was touching, but it was very very centering for everybody and. And calming. Yeah, exactly. We we often um, take moments throughout the year to uh, have uh, uh, staff come together on the floor to remember often patients who have died. To also offer care to the staff, you know, who who work so hard and again store up a lot of this energy. Um, and we did take small moments. We do uh, during Nurses Week. We do a blessing of the hands. Mm-hmm. We just thank the nurses for all their care and compassion and for the healing that they they provide. We offer the same thing to uh, physicians, to all of our staff. Um, and it's it's just a way again to connect to remember that what we're doing is 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 for the the needs of our patients and we care about them and it's an act of kindness and compassion mm, beautiful i'm wondering if either or both of you have a brief anecdote of a family or patient encounter where you really feel that you're you are able to intervene or i'm not sure intervention is the right word uh, but really help in a certain special way that wouldn't have happened without the spiritual piece not to put you on the spot sure i mean it's you know i i think about these moments every day and they're not there many of them aren't um you know what we would consider big moments you know i i think about um i, I think it's in this honestly the simple uh list what you listen for when when patients um, are talking to you you can often pick up just small threads of of need or or um of a, of a sacred moment really that mm-hmm. um that that you can uh kind of grab hold of and and um you know i think about uh, i'm on service currently inpatient and uh, i had a uh, patient yesterday just um, say, you know, that she uh, really wanted to go home. And I said, you know, I, I wish that for you. I, I really am hoping for that. Um, and we're going to work as hard as we can to to get you home and to get you back to your previous functioning. And she said, you know, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, when you hear something like that, like that's, I think it can be an invitation to ask. To further ask, you know, what does that mean to you? Are, are you a person of faith, or of uh, you know, would you consider yourself a, a spiritual or religious person? Um, and and you know, I, I hear that language, and tell me a little bit more. And and so that opened up the door to it, you know, a, a longer conversation about um, about her kind of uh, self identity as a um, a Jewish woman, and, and what that meant, and, and that she uh, was really looking forward to, to kind of spending some time with her rabbi, but that nobody had had called that person yet, mm. um, and you know, and so just a you know a moment of of, of listening to a um, a type of language that patients will use, and 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 probing a little bit more allowed me to connect her with her her spiritual advisor um which i 
you know, wouldn't have otherwise um, really been able to do if I kind of let that pass by. Um, and, you know, whether that made a huge difference in her hospitalization, um, I'm not sure, but, you know, but, uh, but I Bet it did. sure hope, yeah, you know, you, you sure hope so. And, and, and whatever we can do, um, as Chaplain Spalding said, to connect people to the resources that, um, that they, they have as internal kind of locuses of, of support and comfort. Um, I think that's our job, and, and uh, I know that's our job. And, and sometimes we have the tools as physicians, and, and, some, and oftentimes we don't. There are things outside of, of our realm, um, and our job is to be a spiritual care generalist and to, to ask the right questions, to listen, and then to refer or you know put the, 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 the wheels in place, mm-hmm. um, which is often referring to our chaplains. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I can think of uh, one instance recently, uh, and this happens a lot when a patient is first diagnosed with um, having cancer. Sure. It's a very, very scary moment for them, um, and the word cancer brings up such a, a sort of a monstrous um, connotation, and they wonder about their future, and everything is thrown up in the air, and it can bring a lot of anxiety. And so I was called to sort of sit with a patient who had just been told that you know she had cancer. And one of the first questions she said is, you know, is why is God doing this to me? Mm-hmm. Uh, why, you know, why me? I'm a good person. Um, and, you know, sort of ran off a list of things of service that, you know, she had been involved in and caring for others. And uh, But her main, you know, uh, situation in the moment was a, a lot of spiritual distress. Why is God doing this to me? And just in sitting with her um, and spending time in sort of what we call a non-anxious presence. Um, I invited her just to sort of hold for a moment, and we breathed together a little bit. We took a few deep breaths. And then through the course of the conversation, we started talking about, um, you know, what let's unpack that why is god doing this to me and first of all i wanted to know what her understanding of god was and who is the god that she knows um and in the course of that conversation we found out that you know really her god is not a god who causes people to have cancer um but in that moment uh you know, we sort of lose sight of, of sort of our ground. And part of our job as chaplains is to help people remember that they do have a ground. Uh, and for her, it was a strong faith that she had. Um, and she was able to remember that, uh, you know, her God is a God of healing and that, you know, through her prayer practice, it can bring her a lot of comfort. And it brought her anxiety level down uh, to a very manageable place where she could begin the process of uh, sort of looking at, you know, what's going to happen and talking a little bit more concretely about about things. And it was just a sort of a beautiful moment for her to, to go from this high of spinning out of control to remembering who she is and what her faith and her spirituality was. Um, and uh, I think it was, you know, a really helpful moment for her. And that sounds like it was. Do you ever um, have ongoing longitudinal relationships with these patients? Um, or is it always sort of in this acute setting? No, I do. And I've I've been working as a full-time chaplain now for about two years. And in, I, I'm realizing and I'm starting to have to process um, my own feelings about, you know, when I first started, um, I'm starting to see some of the patients that I first met two years ago 
who began their treatment process um, are coming to the end of their life. And so, you know, and my journey with them has been, you know, quite long. I see them when they come in for their treatments. I also um, am the chaplain for the outpatient units, too. So when they come in for chemo or radiation, I visit them. Or they call and ask to see, you know, the chaplain. Uh, and we've we've journeyed together through this whole process of of uh, of diagnosis and treatment and the transition often to uh, to hospice or something like that. And so yeah, I it's not just a one time um, experience that chaplains have with patients, but sometimes it's it's an ongoing process, and uh, we walk the journey with them. Mm. You know, one of the things that I remember. Um, as a young attending many years ago, uh, was a woman from a very strong faith tradition uh, who was diagnosed with a bad leukemia at the same time her young daughter uh, had was hospitalized at the same hospital for a recurrence of her leukemia. Wow. And, uh, you know, I tried to be compassionate and talk about let her talk about how stressful that must be. And she was very comfortable, uh, you know, in her faith that, you know, of course, she wanted to be there for her four kids as much as possible, but she knew that she'd be seeing them in another place mm-hmm. and that she was okay with that. You know, mm-hmm. that was great. You know, I admired that. Well, of course, not of course, but in this particular case, uh, some months later, things weren't going so well and uh, she was nearing the end of her life. I wasn't actually her doctor at that time, but I came by to say hello. And, uh, she was so distressed because she was having a crisis in faith mm-hmm. about not being sure what was going to be next. And in her church community, she didn't feel that it was okay to talk about that, mm-hmm. that she would not receive – it was her impression that she would not, that she would – that her feelings would be invalidated. Mm-hmm. I look back at that, and I was able to listen and just say, gee, that sounds so hard and lonely. Um but I realized I probably said, you know, get the get the chaplain or whom should we get? And now I would know better. Well, I think the fact that you you acknowledged and validated that situation says a lot. Again, and it's a small it's a small way, but it's an interdisciplinary way mm-hmm. to say you recognize it. And even if you did call the chaplain later, I, I think that was a very appropriate thing to do because right. we continue the care because it's all about caring for our patients and providing that holistic approach. Dr. Kristen Moyer is a clinical instructor in the Department of Medicine at Yale School of Medicine, and Randall Spaulding is chaplain of the Oncology and Sickle Cell Units at Yale New Haven Hospital. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.